Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, I get to talk to chainsaw carver Paul Albright here from northern Minnesota. Um, Paul's both a carver and he's very involved in the art world. So let's go ahead and talk to Paul. Hi, Paul. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, Molly. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad this worked out. Um, So my first question that I have for you, what is your story? How did you get started chainsaw carving? I was teaching art at um, a small school in southern Minnesota. And uh, during the summer, my brother-in-law had this large elm, uh, (laughs) quite the first project, Um, uh, like eight foot tall. I can't remember. It was huge. You know, it was like two feet wide, at least two feet wide. And so, and, and a chainsaw that I borrowed from him, you know, it was a home light, if I believe, if I remember right. And it ran good, you know, but I, um, I was so new to that. And I had worked a chainsaw before, but I know I didn't, uh, I'd sharpen the tool like I, I should have. And, uh, I, I can tell you there was much more muscle than brains involved with that project. <laughs> I've, oh. I've used a home light saw before too. Um, and I'm sure they were great for their time, but I know how tough that probably was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just remember that it smoked a lot too, but, um, but then so did I <laughs> No. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, and then I had done that in the summer, it turned out mediocre, let's say, uh, um, at best. And it was like a grizzly bear or, you know, I was kind of going for that. And, uh, uh, and then the next summer it ended up, I think I had like 11, uh, uh, carvings then, you know, requested and done through that next summer. So I thought, you know, if that teaching thing doesn't work out and I shouldn't have thought that cause that, cause <laughs> the teaching thing didn't work. I mean, it, they consolidated schools and, and so on. And, and so, uh, um, well, you know, there's a, a few stories in between, but, um, basically I'd say four or five years later, I was doing this, uh, pretty much full time. Wow. Cool. And so did you say, why did your brother think of this initially? Like what made him think, oh, Paul could carve this tree for me? Well, you know, the, the art background and then, uh, he apparently had seen it before, uh, to tell you the truth, I really didn't know it was a thing, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I didn't look at any examples. I didn't talk to anybody. I just went at it, you know? Um, so good or bad, you know, it, um, and so there's not much more to the story than that other than, you know, it, I think it took like about four or five days and, um, and, uh, so it, it went well, it was, it was a good experience. Good, good reason for me to yeah. hang around him. He was, he was a cool guy. So, well, I didn't even ask you. So what, when did you start? Like about what year was that? That would have been, um, 1980, Yeah. Okay. 1986. And then I started, um, you know, a few odd jobs in between. I, uh, uh, and did a lot of substitute te- uh, art teaching uh, and things in between um, and other jobs. And then um, 
Uh, and then when my wife and I decided to move up to where we wanted to live, which is where, you know, I'm still here. Uh, and so that's Northern Minnesota. And um, so uh, we eventually found jobs and, and then uh, and I did the carving on the side. And it was about three years into it there where it really uh, seemed to be um, uh, a point where I could make the decision to try carving. Um, partially because uh, she had a she had a steady income, and then mine, of course, is flexible. But you know, we we got the bills paid between the two of us. Sure, cool. Yeah. So. Being that you started in the 80s, I wanted to ask you, um, like, how have you seen chainsaw carving evolve or change over the years? You know, that, you know, that's a great question, but I'm probably not the right guy to ask that because I, I didn't follow it then and I don't follow it that carefully now, but uh, I have run sure. into, uh, you know, different carvers and so I, I could give a loose interpretation of uh, of an answer uh, would be, of course, it's, um, I think it's improved on different levels. Um, you know, of course, the 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 machinery uh, is really advanced. Um, uh, Everything is lighter and more powerful now, um, and there's so many options for tools. You know, because it's an in industry of its own now. Before, I believe. It was just most uh, a rarity or a novelty type of uh, thing, and and uh, like I said, I don't know the history of carving, but um, uh, I I did get a hold of a guy up here who was doing well by it, and so I I hung around him a little while, and and he was uh, he was a uh, I realized at that point that you know. I don't know how to say this, but um, the car, car, like anything, you know, um, you can be good at something or you can be a good salesman. <laughs> and he was a yeah. terrific, he was a terrific salesman. And, uh, and I mean, just a nice guy and personable and, and, uh, and I believe, you know, people, half the reason they bought it was because of who he was, not so much as to what he could do. Um, although, you know, he was, he was above average uh, as far as a woodcarver goes, but, um, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I perceived it. And I, and then I thought, well, I, I was going to try to take it to a different, um, uh, direction. And so what I've done is, uh, eventually I ended up using the chainsaw to do, to remove most of the wood and, and, uh, and I did, you know, some surface work with it. But uh, primarily through the years, decades, I should say, uh, is is got it went to the point of um, just blocking it out and doing uh, a lot of the rough cutting and maybe some of the finish, but mostly that was done. I really enjoyed hand carving as well, so I'm a mallet and chisel guy, and uh, you know, you name it, uh, files and down to sandpaper type of thing on certain projects. So, um, but it, uh, I'm glad I started the way I did, um, because when I went to school, um, it was primarily for two-dimensional work. Uh, in fact, I don't know how many, I just very few sculpture classes, um, kind of introductory type of, uh, things, nothing specific. And so I was comfortable with the two-dimension painting and drawing and, and things like that. But, um, 
I, it was, uh, I think three dimension was something harder for me to, to, to do. And of course I wanted to try to, you know, conquer that or, or whatever. So I, um, so I'm still trying to do that <laughs> yeah, 30 years, yeah. 30 years later. So, um, but it's right. taken, me on, it's taken me on an interesting course, uh, um, uh, because of my independent thinking on, on, on that, uh, as far as direction. So I've, uh, I, I feel I've been fortunate to have the support, you know, from, from people. I, and I'm pretty sure. So when I first, the Hackensack chainsaw carving event is kind of why I got started. Mm-hmm. And one of the first events that I watched when I I wasn't a carver yet, were you in that event? I was the judge, one of the judges for about eight years. Okay. But, but, but the answer is no, I never, I never competed. They, they, they give the, they gave the judges a log to play with the same size as everybody else. So it, I had my own cage and my own cleanup person and uh, just like everybody else, you know, um, and then um, so it was it was a great excuse to try, you know, to kind of stretch the envelope for um, because I didn't have to sell it. You know, it was just kind of a, a nice little opportunity for me to play. Right. I remember one year that I was there, you carved like bear and something. I, I watched you carve the whole thing. <laughs> it oh, was really? so cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and I started carving not long after I watched you carve that. <laughs> well, all right. All right. Well, great. Um, yeah. uh, I wanted to, um, I'd like to return to that, but um, uh, what I wanted to mention since uh, you and I talked bef- briefly before this podcast, uh, and you were a, a teacher, uh, middle school teacher in Bemidji, uh, Minnesota, at, uh, and then uh, one of my first projects I, you know one of the first let's say uh, 20 uh, projects that I did um, was done for the um, the high school in Bemidji it's the lumberjack oh yeah I was wondering if you carved that lumberjack it's yeah. really cool yeah that was uh the, and the interesting I guess part of the story um, was uh, well first of all I guess I, it, it was just a tremendous find for a piece of wood this guy had this two foot in diameter eight foot long white pine in his basement and and rotated it uh f- so that it would uh dry evenly it for <laughs> for, for years you know so i'm thinking oh <laughs> i'll i'd never ran into that again you know and uh right I, he, he didn't sell it for much either i, I think it was like he gave you know like Fifty dollars. It was just ridiculous. Um, huh. And so, anyway, that was a uh, and that and the other part of the interesting part of the story was that um, it was purchased by the student council. Um, they they just they wanted to know how to spend the money, and I think it was the mother of one of the uh, board pe- uh, kids um, um, that uh, knew me or whatever referred to that, and then. Um, um, and then, so then they had it, they put it up to a vote and it was either to buy a, a brand new microwave oven or a sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I, I can't imagine what that 30 year old microwave would be doing right now, but I have a feeling they, they, uh, they made the right choice. I hope they. Think so. <laughs> That's funny. 
Um, did you also, did you carve the wolf in the Walker school or no? Yeah, that was actually kind of the beginning of, uh, I, not that I did a lot of them, but, um, yeah, I did that one. Uh, and that's a, like you said, a wolf, that's their, um, mascot. And then I did the, mm-hmm. Neva, the Nevis tiger one. Uh, and, uh, that one sits in their lobby. And, um, what I really like about what Nevis did with theirs, um, is uh, the shop teacher, uh, Olaf Nedeberg, he made a sitting bench with the platform um, on top and in between the two sides of where you would sit. So this tiger, you know, lays, you know, um, you know, on that top part. But and, and so that shelf, let's say, where it's laying is about, Oh, four feet tall. So anyway, it's it's a perfect height to view a you know a, a laying down um, a tiger, uh, and right. then uh, and it also puts it right. I mean, so it's a, it turned into a great photo op, and so they've used it year after year for different events, you know, and awards and things like that. And you can't even see the tiger sometimes. Just the kids are all, you know, it just, it's just, it ends up being the spot where they take the photo ops, you know, for the paper and stuff like that. And, uh, oh yeah. And then they, you can just see the years of oil that, uh, from their hands that have, that have run over the thing. So I really like the idea that they didn't try to, you know, protect it and they just, allowed the the kids to take um you know take ownership of it and i think that was a very important step yeah yeah that's neat i haven't been over to nevis as much but i know my kids um were at walker all the time and when people are talking to me i'm always staring up at the wolf distracted (laughs) i'm like sorry i'm listening i'm just looking at the wolf (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm surprised. Um, um, I'm not shouldn't be surprised, but um, it's nice to hear that the wolf is still there. I haven't been in that school for a long time, so. Oh um, sure. Yeah, so I'm glad they still have yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah, it's right in the um, in the like commons cafeteria. It is up high, but it's r- right there when you walk in. Okay, then they didn't move it. Yeah, that's in the same spot then. Sure. So. And then uh, back to the Hackensack Woodcarvers Festival, and that was just a a, a hoot. Um, uh, uh, and unfortunately, though, they have what's called I shouldn't say unfortunately, but Art Leap, which is kind of a well, it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, it's it's different artists uh, in our rural area that open their studios and homes to the traveling groups of people over a course of a weekend. And so um, a great opportunity, you know, to, you know, um, talk with people and, and so on. And so I was trying to, and it ran on the same weekend as the, um, the, the, the festival over in, in Hackensack. And so I tried splitting I my, that. yeah, I tried splitting my time. I even, uh, asked somebody to do this while I did that and none of it worked. And so I ended up, you know, uh, just doing the art leap. And then that's about the same time that the, um, that they had, um, um, well, uh, they had issues for a couple of years. They had two competitions in Hackensack, Hackensack at the same time. So, um, uh, and so I, I kind of, um, kind of left at, at that point as well, not intentionally, but it kind of worked out uh, 
uh, for me yeah. that way. But uh, one one of the uh, I, I mentioned before about um, um, the playing with the wood, and because I you know it was just fun for me to try something new every year, so I'd try something new. And uh, one year I did a a leaf chair, um, and so I actually did this large. Uh, you know, these are big logs. And so I did this chair that was four feet tall and I made it look like a maple leaf. And so, um, and, and the, it would, and the maple leaf would be shaped like a leaf, you know, more like a leaf than a chair, but it just ha- ends up that it's, you know, that you can sit in it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and this lady that was helping me clean my, my area there, my cage, um, I used her as a model, so I said, "So I said, sit down in there." <laughs> so she kept sitting down, and I made that thing so she almost popped when she came out of it at the end, and um, <laughs> and so um, and it was just a, such a surprise because it only t- they auction like other events, and so auction day came along, and uh, and it was of course this gal's uh, husband who was one of the bidders. And some some lady from the Twin Cities or the Minneapolis um, was, and it only takes two people sometimes. And I'll, <laughs> that thing made it up to twenty five hundred dollars. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then and then the guy that bought it, he gave me a hard elbow, and at the end, and he said, uh, he was just uh, he was teasing me, but um, he didn't he didn't realize it was going to cost him that much to get his wife's chair. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And then one other thing that stands out in my mind from that event was uh, one year they had three people from Japan come over, exchange uh, carvers. I don't know if that's what they call it, but um, and they didn't speak any English or if they did, it was very minimal. And um, and then so I thought and I knew this ahead of time. And so I asked uh, Ross Olson, who was heading that event at the time, if I could instead of one, if I could come up with like three pieces. So I made this, um, a gate, uh, I, I call it post and lintel, you know? Um, so there's a cross piece and there's two uprights and like a portal mm-hmm. to walk through it type of thing. So anyway, and then I did, um, just geometric shapes, you know, nothing descriptive or representational. And of course I got it from the Japanese Shinto Tories, you know, the concept, but I wanted to do an American twist on it. So the, um, the construction um, where the, the post meets the lintel instead of flat like Japan, I made a three point. So they would, uh, so the top um, uh, lintel would uh, on either side where the posts meet have a 90 degree pie removed so that the uprights, which have then the male end of that, sleeve at, again right into that spot you know those two spots so it was ended up being very secure and uh and even more to my surprise it lended itself t- for whatever image is on the surface to be uh transitional or uh, would continue easier you know from one direction to the other because the the shapes met up you know um mm-hmm. if you if you follow that um so yeah. and so I've I've done maybe after that I've done maybe maybe ten of those in 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 a stretch of through the years. Um, so okay. anyway, it was and then and then they came. Uh, those three gentlemen came over 
and uh, they knew what I was doing and they were just ear to ear smiles and we didn't say anything, but um, uh, we just ended up bowing to each other for the longest time. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was some sort of communication there, but right. But they, but they enjoyed it and, and, and they knew that, that I, you know, that what my intentions were. Yeah. Cool. So were you, did you participate in any other carving events besides Hackensack or? Um, no, other than if you call like the Black Duck Woodcarvers Festival. Um, and that's not a, you know, not the same format at all. Um, but I don't right. do. That's a big event up here though. Yeah, it's a great event. Small town. Um, it's their big event, you know, it's just, um, so everybody in town is, you know, I shouldn't say that, but you know, a lot of people in town are, are, are chipping in, you know, and it's, uh, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think they still only charge like $35 for entry. It's ridiculous. Um, but, um, and it, you know, it's a 10 by 10 spot and, uh, you get to talk with other people and so on. And, and it's all wood related, you know, some are carvers, some are, you know, um, bench makers some are selling wood and and so on and mm -hmm. uh, one of the a gentleman um uh that uh, saw me i guess for a couple of years i and then he introduced himself i think the third year or something uh, apparently he was watching what i was doing and following me and i didn't didn't have any idea but uh he ended up being a patron of mine for like uh, 12 13 years at the i mean after once we started projects together I was really fortunate to, you know, I'd have an idea and I, what do you think, Ed? And he says, do it, you know? So, I mean, you can't beat it uh, um, because I got to um, uh, flex my independence and, and, you know, some things he wanted some, you know, as well too, uh, particular in mind. And then, uh, but uh, what a great opportunity that was for me to have somebody that would um, help finance uh, different projects like that. Yeah, and then, that does uh, sound really cool. Oh yeah, and then one of the biggest ones was the, one of the first ones. Um, in fact, we even wrote a. It was the first and last time we wrote a contract up, and because you know he's a businessman, and and, and I it didn't surprise me, and um, I didn't get what I wanted, you know. But I mean, as far as our negotiated price, but um, I think after that project, you know, he, you know, it it, it was it was just on a handshake from from that point on. But uh, he had, uh, he was 80, 82 at that point, and he lived to 95 years old. And I, I think I'd done some 25 carvings for him through those years. And uh, I know that doesn't sound like much for um, uh, uh, chainsaw carving, but these are, um, uh, 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 um, some of these are really, uh, end up, I wouldn't say fine carvings, but like the black walnut, I did a, a torso of a woman, um, and that was taken, you know, down to even the finest sandpaper that you can buy. And so by the end of it, it it felt like flesh. It, it was uh, he he really wanted me to go all out, you know, for making it as smooth as I could at the end, you know, and um, yeah. and so that was a uh, uh, in in some of these projects took me a half a year to make, you know, so they were involved. And, uh, the first right. one I, I did was, uh, called the Eagle Catcher. He grew up in Nebraska and, 
and uh, um, he admired the local uh, Native, uh, Native American culture to where he had grown up and um, had heard the story of eagle catching, which, uh, which is um, uh, they would, um, uh, a couple braves would go out and they would dig a pit, a shallow pit, and um, one of them would lay in this pit and then the other one would cover the other person up and at the at the on the top of the um, the 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 hidden part they'd have either a rabbit or a um, fresh piece of meat uh, and sometimes the guy would spend spend like three days in this pit just waiting for an eagle to come by and so uh, when the eagle landed then to to uh, get this meat um, that's when he would reach up, you know, through the tarp or, um, uh, leather, uh, tarp. And then he'd grab, you know, grab the Eagle. And then they would, he would, uh, hold the Eagle down. And then from the feathers that I've seen, um, he probably picked these, um, second, not the primary feathers, but the secondary feathers. Um, and then that's how they, um, uh, got some of their, their, their warrior feathers is from that process. And so he wanted me to reenact that um, that whole scenario, and so that's probably the one of the three or so most aggressively carved pieces I had done, because uh, he had uh, taken a he had a flatbed uh, uh, semi and he hauled this huge uh, white uh, black walnut uh, up that um that his grandfather actually planted but there was a storm that tore it down so he had a personal um uh, you know um, personal reason for this wood as well and it was it wasn't dry it was thank goodness it was a little green yet it was only been down for a year mm-hmm. or two and so it I, I was able to to work with it and i did remove a a lot of the wood so that there so there was not a lot of checking going on at the at the end of the whole process, but uh, there I have, of course, the the it, the I was thinking of okay, how would I subdue this eagle? You know, so I'm thinking okay, I would grab it by the its right ankle with my left hand, and then that leaves my right hand open to you know to pull him down and then like take a feather and then release him. Yes, you're going to get bit and scratched, but I mean that's it's going to happen here regardless. And so that's kind of what it depicts is this, the Eagles above the guy's head and he's holding onto the ankle and he's reaching up. He's holding one hand up in the air, kind of waiting for that wing for the Eagles left wing, because they're facing each other to come down so he could grab it on the shoulder or whatever. So he's, so there's a distance between this, this upraised hand, and then, then, then the eagle's left talon is is open, and so, and then that's lower than the hand of the of the Native American, and so you have this back and forth, almost like it's it's a it's a show of honor, if that makes any sense, and so, um, yeah. and so it was there was a lot of action going on anyway uh, with it, you know, uh, as far as the you know all of that. And, uh, and then, um, and then here's this white guy, me, uh, making this, you know, native culture, you know, uh, type of uh, storytelling. So I was a little nervous about it, 
but um, but then he he made some connections there with that community because he's always up here. He had a place up here as well. So uh, Leech Lake um, tribal community, uh, a couple elders came out, and um, um, and then so I was almost done with it, and both those gals, you know, and I was sitting in the corner on my stool just looking down at my feet. You know, and they they walked around and around this piece, and I thought, oh my, this is taking this way too long. They're they're, you know, I, I've insulted them or something like that. You know, I'm going Mister Negative on myself. You know, even though I was, I thought they, I, I thought I, you know, I, I thought I did a good job, and then uh, when I looked up, you know, and uh, and both of them had just tears running down their face, and uh, and then I found out they told me later that. Um, what it represented to them was their struggles. And then the eagle represents um, not, you know, it was a symbolism to them. It was no longer an eagle. So at that point, I realized you can try your hardest to try to represent a story, but you have to try to keep your mind and the topic open, at least to a point where, you know, personal interpretation is just as important as, as a, you know, as a, the piece, as a descriptor. And so that was a good lesson for me. So that's the end of that that's story. Cool story. Oh, that's a really cool story. And I was going to ask you, as you're describing this incredible piece, do you have an online portfolio anywhere, like on a website? Like can people see any of your work or is it not out there? Well, you know, I used to, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, uh, I, I, and then um, I won't bore you with the details, but um, yeah, I had a website when first websites were put out um, and had a Facebook for quite a while. And I, I think my, I, I stopped using the, uh, I was silly to stop the website. I might start one up again, but uh, the Facebook, I thought, well, that'll, that'll do the job, you know? Well, then I got hacked apparently. And uh, so oh, I'm, I'm not, I can't even, I'm not even the administrator of my own Facebook anymore. So I had and good luck trying to get up any, a hold of anybody at Facebook. Sorry, Facebook, but that's the way it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so the answer uh, uh, is no, um, not right now. I've got an Instagram, you know, and that's under Albright Sculpture uh, or yeah. Albright okay. Sculpture. But, and then you can see some recent things, but um, I don't, I, you know, nothing past two years old <laughs> and I've got like 30 sure. years of, of material out there and I, yeah, I've got to put it back on, but part of the discouragement and I'm sure a lot of other carvers that are, you know, maybe they know things that I don't, but um, it's really hard to sell three-dimensional work online uh, for me. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I was just trying to show a picture of a sculpture that I made at a event to my students and it was just photographed and I was showing it to him, realizing that this isn't what it looked like at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and then um, you had sent me some uh, prompt questions before our talk here. And one of them was about uh, tips um, that perhaps I could share uh, with uh, uh, carvers and such. And, um, yeah. and what I've just, you know, and this is no big discovery, but um, we're talking about it now. And that is while you're working on your piece, take a picture of it and then look at it in the two dimensional sense, because, you know, 
our three-dimensional brains are doing something much different than what it's really looking like. So if you can look at the picture as you're working, I mean, take a picture, you know, if you're, you know, if you don't do it in one setting, of course, and then, um, and then that it gives you a good idea of where you're at um, and where, where, what you have to do. Right. To no, change. that is a good tip. It yeah. does look different. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I was going to ask you too, do you have any like business model tips for carvers as far as like sometimes people struggle with, should I do on sites or should I do commissions or should I, you know, do inventory, like wholesale stuff? Yeah, you know, um, uh, and I, the short answer is I, I really don't. I think everyone has perhaps um, um, uh, can, you know, unfortunately has to figure that out by themselves because everyone, you know, just just the difference of their work is going to dictate some of that that answer, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh What's worked? I can only tell you what's worked for me, and that is, um, um, it's been word of mouth. And I know that sounds, you know, that's not answering your question, but um, I think if you, uh, my thoughts are, if you can't, if you try to continue to improve, um, and you know, um, are are available to public to an extent. Um, you know, I think they'll find you and the, and, and there, um, I should also say that it kind of depends on where you live, obviously. And, uh, you and I live in this area where it makes sense to buy a wood carving because we're surrounded with Mm -hmm. wood, we're surrounded with nature. And so, um, that's, uh, it's a lot uh, easier for us to, to have choices, um, uh, so, you know, I've been happy, uh, learning from, uh, nature and, uh, and the pro- progression of, of carving and, and, uh, making, uh, kind of my own way. Um, and, um, I think majority though, of people really do enjoy wildlife. I think nature is, is a common, um, uh, thread between the customers and myself, you know, and I, I know that's just, um, that that's kind of regional talk too, you know, cause I mean, if you were, you know, if you lived by the sea or, or, you know, if you lived in a, you know, in town or, I mean, in a city or something, um, you know, and did figures or, or, or whatever, um, I'm, it, it's really a hard one to answer. It's kind of where you live and, and how you live. Um, but, um, I've tried, um, building inventory and, um, and that, it just didn't fit my niche. I tried doing faster carvings one summer and I actually went, I think I went backwards for customers because they were used to me, you know, kind of stepped up hand carving stuff. And then I thought, you know, well, I can do this fast carving and well, it wasn't easy as I thought it was. And then also uh, it takes years to develop, you know, your own style and so on. So, I thought, no, mm-hmm. I've got to go, I got to go back to what, um, you know, and I wasn't enjoying it as much mm-hmm. either. So I thought, uh, you know, I've got it. There's, there's more to it than money. So I went back to mm-hmm. being, um, poor and, uh, stuck to my ethics. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good advice though. Cause I have found 
with me personally, if I try to do carvings that I don't enjoy doing or don't like doing or they're not my style, then I, I find myself frustrated and not happy with my art anymore. Right. Yeah. And there's, uh, along those lines too, um, I know of, um, sculptors and not necessarily wood sculptors, but people who are advanced in age like myself, um, you know, where they have hired people to do their work for them. And it's a great idea. Um, but the downside is that, um, they end up losing interest, um, and they kind of get into a funk. Um, and, and you can eat at that point, uh, you can either stop it altogether or you can go back and, and get your hands dirty again. And, uh, so, you know, if you're going to hire people to do your work, you know, at least keep, you know, keep a good portion or keep a, a realistic portion of it, um, uh, keep active in it yourself. Right. And that's not from personal experience. That's from, you know, listening to other um, business people and uh, sculptors. Sure. That's good advice. So I was going to ask you too. um, Well, and I guess not in the example you just gave, but um, artists often work alone. Do you have any advice for how to continually improve when you're somewhat secluded? Um. You know this this uh, the uh, this exceptional last two years that we've had is even more to that point. You know of seclusion, um, mm-hmm. and uh, no, one, I mean I can't think of hardly anyone that enjoyed that. And um, I th- I think it of course depends on your personality too. And um, I've always um, I've done okay that way, uh, solitarily speaking. Um, I have other interests too. So that's, you know, like for music, for example. And I think if you keep a variety of things going, um, uh, boredom is not, you know, as likely to set in. Uh, And then I've really enjoyed the uh, creative aspects of, of the whole sculpture uh, lifestyle. Um, be, uh, because you end up inventing tools that make your, your work, um, easier and you, uh, uh, and myself, I've explored a lot of different ways to, um, to approach a cylinder, you know, the cylinder shape of a log. And so, um, um, so you try to see it with different eyes or you end up doing that, um, and um like i said inventing uh, tools and processes that make your that that you don't realize it will have an influence on on how the art changes too and so um i think it's kind of a back and forth sort of thing as far as that goes and i'm fortunate to still come up with ideas um for tools and and uh and and uh, utilization of them well, that's that's part of the fun. And uh, oh, I, for example, I came up with this um, this I'll call it a sweep saw. And um, what I did is I took the cylinder off of a old tractor, and um, um, and 
I mean, uh, what do they call those? Uh, uh, pneuma- are the is it pneumatic? No, it's oil driven. Anyway, those 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 uh, cylinders that expand out. You know, when you lift or lower, you know, your bucket. You know, what are they called? Okay. <laughs> I can't help. I okay. Know. <laughs> no help. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no. this, <laughs> this uh, cylinder comes out like two feet out of the out of the out of the other cylinder. You know, so and then I welded up a, a frame and everything, and so I've got it so that I put a log in or a prepared log um, inside of the K of this framework, and then uh, I took it out, the cheapest electric saw that I could buy, uh, just because I didn't know what was going to happen, and then so um, so then I've got it so that it pitches ninety degree exactly um, to the uh, to the log then on the side, so. I just I just then run the saw and it it makes this sweep. It goes a perfectly clean sweep that goes across the face of the log, the side or the face of that log. And you just keep on repeating it, repeating, repeating it until you get through the whole thing. Now you've got this perfectly perfect um, round uh, cut um, that you would it'd be really hard to do that. You know, I'd say impossible uh, by 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 hand or by sight. And then you either, okay. I mean, then you raise that just a little bit and then you do it again. And now you've got this curved slab. It looks like it's been steamed, you know, but it's actually cut to, uh, so that it's curved. And uh, I've made a couple abstract sculptures from that. And then, um, but last winter I made um, these three-legged uh, uh, chair uh, chairs. And so I've got this sweeping top um that's large you know that's uh that's large it's about two feet across and they're about oh a 15 inches deep you know uh wide or whatever and then about two inches thick um and then and then i use i use birch and so i took the limbs then of the birch tree and i made three legs and then those are supported by other limbs and the reason it was three is because I tried four and it looked like a horse, you know, or something. And if you use three legs, it looked yeah. more like a butterfly. And I went, I went with a butterfly look. And um, and um, um, anyway, um, I um, I call them my big ass chairs <laughs> because they're <laughs> and and spelt a s uh, and because I, I I ripped that off a little bit from the you've heard of the big fans that they uh, that they sell. Um, I think worldwide. And um, anyway, okay. um, so, so it, it, it's like a one size fits all is my point. And, um, and it was, it's really cool to see people that, um, and I, and even the larger people uh, that come by and I, I said, it, you know, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'd say I would guess that they could hold 500 pounds, you know, and I know they don't weigh that much or half that much, you know, and so, oh, you know, yeah. then, then they'll try it and then they go, oh, that's comfortable, <laughs> you know. So I uh, and I've only done one series of that, but I would love to do that out of oak. And I can just picture the the legs of an oak. The oak limb are very interesting, you know, with the twists and such. And uh, right. and, and the oak itself is beautiful uh, wood. Um, so not this year, but um, next year I'll give it a shot. Yeah, cool. Well, that, thanks for giving an example of like one of the tools that you made. That sounds creative. I don't know if I could do stuff like that. 
<laughs> well, you know, you you would if you um, if <laughs> I think you could. Um, uh, let's see, what was I going to say? On oh, one last thing I wanted to mention about um, uh, concepts, and that is the conversion of a um, the cylinder. Um, if you cut it to the same length as the width of the log, um, then I, I, I clean that up to a perfect, uh, near perfect cylinder. There again, the width matching the height. And then I, it took me a while to figure out the processes, but it's, it's more mathematical than it is artistic of getting it to convert then from that to a from the cylinder to a sphere so i end up with a, a just a round ball um and from that round ball uh, the motif or the um the subject matter uh, it kind of led into um doing uh making it look like two animals like um uh, do you know how uh, like uh, bear cubs they'll wrestle and it almost they almost make a ball right yeah yeah, it's it's that idea, and so uh, so I carve, re- I carve high relief um, on both sides, you know, both bears, and so I got, carve two bears on this one sphere in a, in a relief form, but you you push that relief to the point where all of a sudden then it give it 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 takes off a three dimensional appearance, even though it's still relief. Um, mm-hmm. and you maintain that full, that full sphere, you know, you don't, you know, that's just the way I do it. And then, uh, so, and they're locked in, uh, juxtaposed at a 90 degree angle from each other. And then the, and then the end result is actually you're, when you look at one side, you're actually looking at what the other side is as well. So then it's, it's like a visual continuum. And so that was just a, it's a blast I've done. Oh man, just a bunch of those. Um, and I think I could spend the rest of my life. Uh, and if I ever went commercial with, you know, on the road, I mean, that's what I would take because people, um, uh, particularly uh, women and Native Americans, for some reason, um, uh, seem to like it. Um, just my observation. Um, and then, uh, and so what I've done uh, just this last year is I did two uh, cupping hands in the same way, and um, obviously without the wrists. And so it's just like two hands that are cupped, um, uh, you know, uh, perpendicularly to each other. And then, um, and then what I did there, Molly, was um, after I did the carving. And so this was a big one. I mean, it was like two feet across or close to it. Uh, probably only even a little bit bigger. And then, so anyway, it gave me room to try. And so I thought I'm going to try to separate these. So I carved, you know, between the, you know, uh, the, where the fingers met the palm and they had hands and so on like that. And then, uh, and then I actually got them apart. I couldn't believe, you know, that I got it without ruining it. And so I, then I carved yeah. the inside of each of those hands. Okay. So I finished the form on the inside and then um, and then I figured out, okay, now how am I going to hold these together? Cause I've, you know, I knew I could just put a round stand, you know, they would hold it together, but I wanted a little bit more unique. And so, um, I actually put, um, uh, cables then, um, uh, on the palms of the interior or the midpoint of each side. 
And then on the stand, which was around um, a metal uh, tube uh, pipe, um, I ran a, that same cable down through the top and, and fastened it on the bottom. So you can't see the pipe, of course, in the middle of the sculpture, but it's where those two cables run together and down and fastened that the weight of the one actually is is supporting the weight of the other one. So it's it's almost like it's almost like magic. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was a blast to do. And um yeah and uh is Bemidji, that the piece that's that's what I was gonna ask you. Is that the piece that's going in the Bemidji sculpture walk? Yeah and Bemidji uh, approved that this year so that'll um I might make a little bit different stand on it. I really wasn't happy with um you know, so I'll I'll play with it a little bit before they get it. But um, I'm sure. thinking about putting a light in there, but I didn't mention that because uh, my original concept was was uh, uh, when when you capture like a firefly uh, um, in the summertime and you're you're holding it in your in your hands. And, uh, oh, yeah. and so I was thinking about putting in like an LED light on the inside, but I'm not sure if I want to do that yet. Right. So you have to mess around with it. Yeah. yeah. So. Later, I, I don't know when they'll switch out the website, but if people want to see that hand sculpture, it'll be on the um, BemidjiSculpture.com, but probably not till May because they switch it out in May, right? Yeah, and I and I hope they don't use the photograph um, that that I supplied them because um, it uh, it it uh, it looks better. Um, I, I took the picture in my garage and it was, it was not a, I did not set it up well. And um, sure. anyway. I'm pretty sure that once they put them out on the street, they take new outdoor pictures. Good. Good. Um, just because they photograph so well out in the sunlight. You know what? I was impressed with them this year. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to help with the park Rapids sculpture uh, thing uh, that we have. And I've, uh, we've tried to model it you know, um, to Bemidji's, to a, to a yeah. large extent. Um, but um, what I really like what they've done this year is they've done this autocast or this, um, this uh, they, they asked the artist to do a short uh, description of the piece. And so uh, through a QR code, you know, so you just take a, you know, your camera and, and then you can hear the artist talk about their work. I thought that's a, that's a wonderful way to um, to promote uh, the artist and also inform the public. Yeah, that was so I do. I do QR codes a lot with my students at school with their artist statement. Nice. So I don't I don't think a lot of people noticed it. But the last few years when I had a piece in there, um, I I did my own QR code and just asked if they would put it on my piece. And uh so it's cool now that they're going to do it for all of them. Yeah, you feel such a connection to the artist when you can hear him talk about it. Good. Yeah, because um, even though Park Rapids had a QR code on theirs last year, but there was no audio with it. It was just, a, uh, you know, like a directive link or something. Um, and so uh, like you, like you're saying, um, uh, I'm glad you started that because uh, I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have my students do it all the time. And at first they're like, eh, like they're not happy about it because we all hate our own voice, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Once I convince them that none of us like their voice, they're, they're uh, happier to do it. <laughs> right, right. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you doing that. Well, so is there is there anything that I should have asked you that we haven't talked about yet? I think we've filled that most of that hour up pretty darn quick. <laughs> There's a when it comes to art, we could talk forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I shouldn't have been. Uh, oh, I should mention one other thing. Um, no, that's that fine. Go for it. That I'm playing with this year, um, and I came across it by uh, someone wanted me to do a um an outdoor carving of uh on a, a standing uh tree you know log i mean he topped it 15 feet tall uh what was it a um, i think it was white yeah it was white pine and then um uh it was straight it had kind of a serious lean to it you know something i could work with um um and then we, we both have uh, interest of uh, our, our um, Norwegian or, or Viking past. And so um, <laughs> he, he was retiring and this was a gift to himself. And he's if nice. I'm laughing only because uh, if you knew this guy, he's such a straight laced dude. He <laughs> he's a uh, yeah, um, um, highly professional, a hand surgeon. It just it just you know, highly detailed in his work and stuff. And so anyway, um, um, and very stoic, that's, that's the word I was trying to go for. And when he told me to let my inner pagan go, I just about <laughs> dropped my jaw because I just couldn't, didn't hear, I didn't I ever foresee that coming out of his mouth. So anyway, I knew <laughs> then that even though, you know, um, that he, and this is not like him, I'd done, a, did something before for him. And, um, uh, um, he, he enjoyed that and stuff. And so anyway, I had, had built that trust um, uh, level with him and he just wanted me to go with whatever idea I came up with, which is a shocker. You know, I mean, that happens, but it's, it kind of surprised me. It came from him. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, anyway, um, and so um, I, you know, dug around and everything. And um, I did, I did this um, uh, it's, it's um, abstract um, uh, depiction of, uh, uh, this is a, a mythology of Vikings. So it was Odin at the top, just, just his face, but his beard bellowed out into a spiral, which spiraled down then to the lower part of the sculpture. And then there I did an abstract of, um, Hugen and Munin, I think are his, um, his uh, earthly connections, uh, his ravens, his communicators to the earth, uh, Odin, and so I did a okay. um, kind of a mixed image. It was a it was a shared image between the head of a, of a raven and also it looked like a, a praying warrior. Now both those things were of interest to Odin. You know, uh, he he loved the whole dying warrior thing, uh, and then so. Um, so with that all done, I put um, uh, graphite as a finish on it. Oh my gosh, I am sold on graphite. I love it. How oh. did you put graphite on? Molly, it's fantastic. Um, what you um, you can it's very reasonable to purchase. I bought it in powder form. You can get it in different okay. kind of forms, but I think a gallon of it is like fifty dollars. You know, and it goes. I have, I'm halfway through it. 
and I've used it for other projects as, as, as I have this one as well. Uh, so, yeah. um, so what I did is I did the carving, like I just described, and then I did a, um, a pre-coat, you know, a wood pre-coat so that it would be receptive, uh, all over, um, uh, of the next step. And so I did, what was it? Uh, I mixed oil, turpentine, and, uh, as a solvent for this, uh, graphite. And so I just, you know, guesstimated for the uh, consistency. Um, and then I brushed the whole thing on there and it looked really cool. Um, and then, um, and then at the end, I was, I was going to take a picture. I was taking a picture of it. And then when I took a picture, I looked at the picture and I, oh shoot, I missed a little spot on the, one, a little inset toward the top. So I put my aluminum ladder back instead of setting the scaffolding up, I put the aluminum ladder back on there, climbed up, filled that little thing, took it down, you know, I was, and I was going to take a picture again. And I looked up there and I was like, what did I do to this thing? I scratched it apparently. And then I looked at it more carefully and no, I didn't scratch it. I rubbed it. And so you can get a beautiful sheen by rubbing this um, graphite. And so I rubbed the, the most, the outward most part of the sculpture. And so it has like a sheen to it. And then the ins or the inset carving part of it is a little darker and dull. And it's just enough to play between the two values that it's just like, oh my gosh, I, you know, mistakes are wonderful sometimes. And so, yeah, and that, I, sounds, that sounds cool. Yeah. And then I, and then I just uh, introduced a little color too. So I, uh, on, on uh, some, on the negative ground, mostly, I mean, negative uh, um, spaces in between textures. I, and uh, here and there, I, I kind of uh, put this uh, a brilliant red color that, um, that uh, really kind of helps play, you know, with the whole uh, outcome of, um, of, of the piece, but, um, but really happy with it. And then, um, and then I, uh, and the thing I don't like about carving those outdoor things is, you know, um, you have to accept that they're going to fall apart in time, but you try to prolong it as best you can. So you come up with the best um, finish, and I, this is just theory now, but my guess is I don't have to go back. I think this graphite will take care of it for decades, just guessing. But, you know, you can't wash it off. The rain doesn't take it off. The sun doesn't damage it. So I don't know what's left. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So I, I'm fired up and that way. And then, uh, and then so uh, well, one of his, his requests was that I cap the top. So I capped the top with copper. Um and so then the water is not an issue there. And so, and then I um, found out, and this is what I want to share with uh, not only what I did with the graphite, but, um, but what I did with the very base of it. And you probably know this or your carvers know this, but um, there's a thing called, uh, um, the, and I'm naming the brand, um, but it's called Cobra Cones. And uh, what they are are um, antifungal um, um, cones so you drill this half inch hole. Uh, you're supposed to place them 10 inches apart from one another. So I did that around the base, uh, about a foot off the ground, and insert two cones, and it comes also with a cap that you just tap in to cover the hole. Now, the, the holes were drilled parallel to the ground, 
And so you, you, like I said, you insert these cones and they, they, they're supposed to have a three-year lifespan. And so you can just take the cap off and put more cones in there in three years. And, and it's uh, antifungal and anti-insect uh, a repellent. And so um, I'm, and what they use it for is the, the log, uh, the log home companies came up with this um, for uh, 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 wood that is rotting. And so they, they came up with these cones to do, I think it, it does a chemical react. I mean, um, I think that changes the cells in the wood. So it almost becomes like a, a plat instead of um, you know wood, it kind of turns plasticky or resistant anyway. And so I think that I think there's quite a bit of life left on that. I I'm, I'm hoping that between the cap top copper and the and the and the resistant cones inserted at the bottom and the, uh, the graphite finish, um, I th- I think it'll last a while. That's interesting. And, I haven't heard. I haven't heard much about those comb things. I'll I'll be curious to hear, like over time, how it how it holds up. Yeah, I I hope that uh, other. I, I don't do on-site um, carvings like that much anymore. Um, but I I may change my mind because the big reason I didn't was because it was so discouraging to put all that work into it, and then you know a few years later it falls apart from the from right. the you know from the ground up usually but you know top down too um so cool. yeah that's a you know and who knows you know you might want to even try that on a um those cones on a on a piece that you carve that isn't on the ground you know if you're concerned about you know uh, the the piece wicking up from wherever people put it um that's an option right I know too early in my carving career, I made a few carvings and like to test out some colors and paints and I kept them at my house and was able to see like 15 years later how they looked. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I kind of did, did some long-term tests with some stuff. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And I realize, I realize uh, that some of this is part of the charm of what we do is, is the checking and the deterioration. But I think, um, and I've learned to kind of try to work with that instead of against it, even though I just said an example of the other way around. Um, 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 so anyway, Molly, (laughs) and hopefully no one will steal this idea, but, um, I came up with a, uh, with what, what, what I want to call these. And so I'm doing these now, uh, just I'm starting on this summer, like what I've just described, but they won't be on location. I'm going to use white cedar, which is has its own inert um, resistance for those things I mentioned. Um, and yeah. then uh, and we have white cedar is, you know, it's not as you know, whatever. Um, uh, and then I put rebar on the bottom so that they freestand and you can put them in the ground, you know, but they'll still elevate above the ground you know, when they're put in place. Um, but they're going to be like posts then that people can put, you know, in their yard or whatever. And then I'm calling them Norse poles. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly because I, I go with large, uh, I like the style that I, that I developed from it. And it's very, um, it looks like the shapes are too big for the, for the log. And so they kind of, and it reflects a little bit on the, um, 
the 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 Norwegian Norse uh, culture. Um, sure. In, you know, so it, it it you know it's you know right. It, I'm 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 excited about it. I'm I uh, I have a lot to learn on it yet. Um, but um, but they're really fun. They're they're fun to do, and they're um, I'm I'm excited about experimenting more with the uh, the approach of how to introduce color on some of this uh, graphite. So I might be washing some color on first and then covering it with graphite. Okay. Yeah. Well, the most important thing is finding stuff that you're excited about, I think. Yeah, no, and I've, I've got like three or four different irons in the fire now. So that might answer your question for working alone. You know, I, I think you have to uh, generate your own excitement. Um, yeah. Right. Well, cool. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you being on. It's so great to talk and we're, cl- we're close together and I hear like um, stories and rumors about you all the time, but we've never been able to talk. So <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, and I, I've seen your work online and uh, really think you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure to go and check out the other episodes. And if you like the podcast, share it, like it, and or give us a rating. Thanks.